0: We really had an incredible night last night, the Night of Hope. The comedian Nazareth was here, and it was refreshing. Uh, People came from all over. A couple that I met came from Everett, and they said it was worth every mile that they drove down here. We're honored to have them here. And then Nazareth at the end, we gave an invitation, and people came forward committing themselves to Christ, deciding to follow Jesus, returning to Jesus, and it felt like we were ready to have church last night, and that's just continuing today with baptisms this morning at both services. Uh, Let's give thanks to God, those baptisms all morning, so inspiring, and we're in a series right now on the kingdom of God. We're not just studying the kingdom of God, we're experiencing it together. And we're going through the parables of Jesus. And every parable is a little different. There's a wide range of parables. Today, we're in Luke chapter 16, focusing on creative solutions. So you can find it on your Bible or open up your Bible to Luke chapter 16. It's our joy to get into God's word together and hear from him. And the reason there's such a range of parables is because we are learning the fullness of the kingdom of God. And this is a parable that's often seen as difficult to understand. And I've got to admit, it's tricky. Are we going to skip over the difficult parables? Not at all. We're just gonna lean in and ask God. Anytime you open the Bible, ask God because the Holy Spirit's gonna reveal. We rely on the Holy Spirit to open up our eyes and understand the scripture. And that's where we're gonna lean in. I encourage you, when you read through the Bible in your own time, and there's a challenging passage, pray, maybe get some resources, talk with some friends, get in a life group and dive into scripture together. And let's listen to what Jesus is saying. He's talking about the kingdom and he's sharing parables with us. Us. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this time in your presence with us. God, we want to open up our ears, our minds, our hearts to you. In trust, God, is joyful to trust you, to walk with you. And God, we pray, whatever you want to shift in our lives, in our attitudes, relationships, and priorities, God, those would move, and we would be freed up. God, because in your kingdom there is joy, there is peace, there is freedom, and it's all because of your grace. We thank you today. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. God empowers us to be problem solvers. Look to the person next to you and say, you're a problem solver. And then turn to the other side and say, you're a problem solver too. Now, to be a problem solver, there has to be a problem. If there's no problem, you can't solve anything. So the problem is the opportunity to rely on God and solve some problems. We've got a problem as we start in this parable. Luke chapter 16 and verse 1. Jesus told his disciples, there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him in and asked him, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management Because you cannot be manager any longer. The manager said to himself, What should I do now? My master is taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm ashamed to beg. The manager is fired. He's got a problem. Maybe some of us have been fired in the past, and he feels stuck. What am I gonna do next? Because he's accused of being irresponsible and wasting, and now he doesn't have a job. When he considers his options, digging, he's not strong enough to do that. Begging, he's kind of ashamed, and he just feels stuck. Have you felt stuck in life sometimes, just not knowing what the next step is going to be? Jesus is bringing this parable to the disciples, because looking ahead, frequently they're going to be going through loss, wondering what's next, Do you ever wonder and just say, God, what's the plan? When you're going through a very challenging time and maybe you didn't see it coming, maybe you're in between jobs or financially things are rough or someone is undermining you in the relationship and it's not where you thought you'd be in life, you just wonder, God, what's the plan and what's my next step? And that's the position in the parable It's the position the disciples are frequently going to be in. And I think we can relate as well. And here's the good news. Our God brings creative solutions. This is a kingdom of creative solutions. And when we abide with Jesus, his creativity starts to flow through us. We're made in God's image and God starts to download creative solutions. We're going to take a look today at four characteristics of people who solve problems. You're a problem solver. What are these characteristics? And they really open up the door to see how God works in our lives in the middle of the problem. Here's the first characteristic. We wanna be resourceful with our options. Be resourceful with your options. Jesus continues in verse four. I know what I'll do, says the manager, so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. So he called in each one of his master's debtors He asked the first, how much do you owe my master? 800 gallons of olive oil, he replied. The manager told him, take your bill, sit down quickly and make it 400. Then he asked the second, and how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. He told him, take your bill and make it 800. Resourceful moves, savvy moves, shrewd moves from the manager, it's important to note that right away, the manager rejected a few things. And we need to reject these things. He rejected passivity, excuses, denial, and giving up. When things don't go your way, you're gonna be tempted to make excuses, denial, give up, be passive. And you need to reject those things so that you can move forward. And this man takes action. I'm not talking about taking action of running ahead of God with your own plans. But what I am... Promoting is that we rely on God. And when you rely on God, there might be a time of reflection, listening, prayer. That's all good. But there's going to come a point, and it'll usually come pretty quickly, where God now directs you and empowers you. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, you're going to step into some solutions instead of being held back by just the circumstances. And so God moves us to take action. The action in this particular case, And I'm not saying everything the manager did was golden. And I don't know all his motives, but here we see the steps he took. He went to the debtors and he brought a discount. There's a debt discount and it's happening quick before he loses his job. He goes to the debtor who owes 800 gallons of olive oil. And that's the yielding of 450 trees. That's a lot of olive oil. And he says, consider that debt now only 400 gallons. And the debtor's extremely happy. Then he goes to the next debtor. And in that instance, he owed 1,000 bushels of wheat. That's what you'd produce with 100 acres. It's a lot of wheat. And he says, take that debt down to 800. Now, Bible commentators and scholars of the Bible disagree at this point. There's two ways to interpret. Isn't that true in life? When someone tells you something, there's often two ways to interpret Well, did they mean this or did they mean that? Did they have good intentions or were they crafty and actually they're selfish? And you're trying to figure it out. It works all the time in marriage, with kids. It works in the church. Things happen. You try to interpret it and you can go one of two ways. Same is true in this passage. I don't know what the answer is, but I noticed the contrast in the interpretations. Some people think that this manager is sabotaging. He's selfish. And in this instance, He's wasted the money, been irresponsible, and now he's just getting sneaky. That's how some people interpret it. Then other people interpret it that the amount of the debt has been reduced to now the original amount. Because so often there would be an exorbitant amount of interest. They would just try to take more and more money. So possibly this manager said, let's reduce it to the original value, in which case his master would be fine with that amount and the debtors would be elated. This would be savvy, wise, brilliant, and even somewhat fair. Which way did he operate? I don't fully know. But I know this, Jesus said, be shrewd as a serpent and innocent as a dove. He tells that to us, be shrewd as a serpent and innocent as a dove. I see this played out around the world today. There are people that are bringing Bibles into countries where it is dangerous where if they're caught, they might be killed or thrown in jail, and they need to be very savvy, and they're trying to figure out the bureaucracy and the threats, and there's other people that are translating the Bible right now. They're losing their lives. They're being killed. They're trying to be aware of all the dynamics and the persecution. They're trying to be very aware, very innocent, but they are laying down their lives to bring God's word to everyone around the world right now, and that's a dynamic that our brothers and sisters are literally being killed trying to be innocent and yet bring God's hope to people who are in hopeless situations. We also know in the Bible, and we believe and affirm this, that God does not support lying. That's not from God, bribes are not from God, deception, dishonesty, cheating, misleading. Please don't read this parable and think that, oh, God's gonna endorse those behaviors. That's not the case. And so how do you be shrewd as a serpent and innocent as a dove? Well, in many different settings, I like to try things uh, and then some things work, some don't, but I've in my car, I always turn on praise music and it's been that way with our kids for 16 years and they've never said it has to turn off, you know, and we didn't arm wrestle over it but I turn that on because they have so many messages that are bombarding them all the time in school and neighborhoods and friends and classes. And when they're in the car, I just want them to hear praise. I just want them to hear about the goodness of God. I just want them to hear the taste and see the Lord is good and they are loved and they can be secure. And God is a God of truth. And so those moments are precious for me. And I just, that's what I do. I'll turn that on. And there's other opportunities you have. Now, I'm also someone who likes to praise God out loud and I walk around. Um, I don't even put anything in my ears. I just hit the praise songs I like in YouTube and I go for a walk or a jog and I just hold onto my phone and people come by on the path and I just think it's kind of interesting. People are interesting. I like people. And so as I'm praising God, it's just like, what's that person running by thinking? I don't know, but I'm just giving them a little praise as, as they run by. That might not be for you. My family thinks I should probably change that habit right there. <laughs> Um, But I'll tell you, when we play basketball in front of the house, when we play soccer in front of the house, you know what happens? Start to meet people walking by. And I realized I don't even need to play a sport. I just take a chair now and I just set it in the front of our yard. And I'll just do my work. I'll just be reading, reading the Bible, doing whatever, reading something. And you know what happens? People walk by, conversations. I'm just getting to know my neighbors I mean, it's not rocket science. Like you just take a chair, mine's about $20 and you put it in the front of your house and people just love to stop by and chat, you know? Different things, secular platforms, the hope of Jesus. You're able to go in in secular platforms and bring the hope of Jesus. In some of your workplaces, you're very aware of the parameters, but you're praying for people and they don't even realize that you're doing things as salt and light in places. You're shrewd as a serpent and innocent as a dove. That's what Jesus has called us to do. No one is more savvy than Jesus. No one is more savvy. They tried to trap Jesus so many times. They said, Jesus, give us your policy. Give us your take on John the Baptist. Where's that authority coming from? And he said, well, let me ask you, do you think it's coming from heaven or earth? The religious leaders who tried to trap him, Jesus flips it and says, you tell me. Now, if they answer from heaven, then he's gonna say, well, then why don't you repent of your sins, get baptized and follow me? But if they say, oh, John the Baptist, it's just all human stuff. Well, everyone knows God is working through John the Baptist, and he's the forerunner, and that's not human stuff. So they say, I don't think we're going to answer that. (laughs) Jesus is savvy. They try to trap Jesus. Jesus, are you going to pay taxes? Jesus says, we'll give to Caesar what's Caesar, and give to God what's God's because God is above Caesar and taxes aren't the main thing. It's really about honoring, glorifying God and everything you have and are, you should be honoring God. So think about God, not just Caesar. He's savvy. The Sadducees thought they were savvy. Oh, we got Jesus trapped. We came up with a perfect hypothetical scenario to trap Jesus and show how foolish he is. And they said, okay, Jesus, got a question for you, wise teacher. Someone's married over and over and over again, seven marriages. Now they die, now they go to heaven. Jesus, ha ha, who do you think they're married to in heaven? And Jesus takes that in and he says, actually, there's no marriage in heaven. Marriage is an earthly endeavor. And the Sadducees didn't think there's a resurrection. Well, Jesus points out there is a resurrection and you don't know because you don't know the scripture and you don't know the power of God. They thought they trapped him and they were like, oh yeah, maybe we won't ask him any more questions. (laughs) The woman's caught in adultery and Jesus says to religious leaders, why doesn't the first person without sin throw the stone? Savvy at every point. It's a good reminder, it's inspiring in parenting. Ask questions, be calm, think through it, lead people to God, go to the core of the issue. Jesus is savvy in all situations. And this was a parable to inspire us to use our resources well, to be resourceful. We had a revival night here this month and we didn't quite know what to expect. I guess that goes with the name revival. You know, you just show up and let's see what God's gonna do. Well, just before we were about to start, someone said, I wanna get baptized tonight. So we scrambled around and said, can we do that? Can we get the water warm? It's coming up really soon. And we said, let's do it. So the whole team rallied, the water was ready. And during the night, not only did that person want to be baptized, but six people came forward, not planned, baptized right here this month. And one of them, grandson, they reach out to grandpa who's at his house and say, grandpa, you got to come down because there's a baptism about to happen. And grandpa baptized his grandson right over here. Said it was one of the highlights of his life. And you know, there were six baptisms. Pastor Mark said, I just sense there's someone else. And we continue to worship God. And then you know what happened? Angel, angel came over and said, I've been scared and fighting anxiety about baptism for so long. And tonight I'm gonna get baptized. And angel was baptized and seven people getting baptized following the Lord Jesus Christ. Just saying, God's gonna bring things that you can't always plan and some of the greatest blessings are that way. And God's gonna create situations where you need to be resourceful. So listen to God, abide with Jesus, and then follow his lead. That's what this parable's teaching. A second thing this parable teaches is to be insightful with the impact. Now, as you look at verse eight, the master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind then are the people of the light. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself. Some of you have been reading the Bible a while and you'd skipped over that verse. You just can't picture Jesus saying this. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Jesus brings some twists in the plot right here. And the first twist is that the master commended the manager, even though he fired him, he commended him for being savvy, for making the most of the opportunity, for reducing the debts in his creative solution. Now, Jesus also brings another twist by saying the people of this world are more savvy often than the people of the light, The people of light can be naive and sometimes clueless and the people of the world have more figured out in some instances. Well, who are the people of the light? Ephesians chapter five, verse eight. And this is what it says in the Bible, for you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. Jesus gives you a new identity. You are in God's family. You are light. That's your identity. So live in the light, walk in the light and shine the light. Think about how we live, be intentional. And then the third twist, use your worldly wealth to gain friends. Some people are thinking that shouldn't be in the Bible. That sounds shallow, that doesn't sound wise, that sounds manipulative. Like, what is Jesus saying? Well, this manager is to be commended for a couple of things. He understands that life is about relationships. He understands the quality of your relationships are very important, He understands about being intentional and being proactive. These people that he's reducing their debt, they might be the ones who welcome him into their homes because he's gonna be in between jobs. They might even offer him a job. He understands long-term forward thinking and he takes initiative with the insights. Those are some positive. I don't know everything about him, but he's commended in those instances. So what can we learn? Jesus is challenging his disciples with the way you invest to be very intentional. Because why? Because relationships can change the way you invest your time, your energy, and even your money. It can change, it can help people. When you think about relationships, I remember Tommy Nelson gave a talk saying, guys, and he was talking to the men at this point, you can't spend enough money on your wives. He's like, you just can't. There's no one in your life that's more Valuable. You're more united with. Don't be stingy. He said, "Just go for it, guys." Uh, so I got an amen over here. From I, I think it, I don't think it was a male voice, but I, I got an amen over here. Uh, I didn't see any guys like nodding on that one. And then he says, "This in ministry, you can't invest enough in your leaders. You can not care, prayer, time. You can't invest enough in your leaders in ministry." You know, invest in people more than things. Some of us will get $10,000, $20,000, and we just start thinking things, 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 things. And this parable challenges us that maybe the greatest investment isn't the next greatest thing, but maybe it's through that investment some lives will be changed. Some people would have food or clean water. Maybe someone could have some hope through that investment. And also think about people who don't know the Lord. Ministry takes money. I mean, it it just does. Churches have budgets. Ministries have budgets. And you know what? It takes money to provide for those and reach those who maybe right now don't know the Lord. And so it's a challenge for us as a church to steward well what God has given to us. And there's some things we're passionate about. You know, when when you consider what we're doing together, uh, one of the things we're passionate about is our international partners. We have over 40 And more than half were raised up out of our church because we're a sending church We wanna bless locally and globally. Together, we just sponsored 200 kids in Cambodia. And there's a sweet connection and relationship there now. You see, money can help people who are in need and don't have access to it. When I think about what's coming up April 30th, there's a lot of people in this room, they're gonna walk or jog 13.1 miles. Why? Because it, it helps bring clean water for kids, Around the world, who don't have it, and $50 brings clean water for one kid for the rest of their life. You see, $50 makes a big difference. And then when you think about the investment in drive through prayer, it's literally inviting thousands of people in our community who are hurting right now, maybe don't have anyone that will pray for them. They'll drive into our parking lot on Fridays and they'll receive prayer and care from people. With our digital ministry, You know, God's blessed it. And now we've reached over a billion people and seen about a million indicate first-time responses to put their trust in Jesus. You see, we wanna be good stewards across the board. God is working in so many ways through you, through us. And it's very important we're faithful with what God gives us because attached to blessing people, God will change lives. And so don't miss the truth of what can happen when you wanna build people up and reach and love people. And sometimes that includes even our money. Although Jesus will say here, money's a really small thing, and it is. Money's a very small thing compared to true riches. This is how he says it in verse 10. And this principle, this third one, is be incremental with development. Development is incremental. Jesus now says, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever's dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? I wanna say money's a blessing and you can uh, be faithful in that money. It's not a sin to be rich at all. You're no better or worse if you have more or less money. But what Jesus is saying is that money is not true riches. There's so many things more important in life. And what he's highlighting is that faithfulness is the main goal in life. Faithfulness to God, when your days are finished, nothing will mean more than to hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. You don't have a higher goal than that. Ultimately, what matters for all of us is to be faithful to God. God blesses us to be a blessing. So we don't take his blessings lightly and we don't hold on to them in a stingy way. Sometimes, uh, you know, in America, we tend to think bigger is better and we're like, give me more, give me more, give me more. And oftentimes God will slow down with us and say, well, are you faithful with this? You want more, 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 but are you faithful with this? Are you faithful with what's small before I give you all, right? Are you faithful with the little before I bring the large? Are you faithful with the portion before I bring a plethora, I just want to say plethora sometime today. Uh, you, you, you get the principle, right? God gives you something and sometimes it's a test. How will you handle it? I remember when I was at seminary and I went with no money and a lot of bills, had no idea how I'd pay the bills. And then I started to work and got a small paycheck for work in a few hours. And I remember getting that paycheck in my late 20s and thinking, what am I going to do with this? Because I have so many bills But at that point, I made a decision. I'm gonna give 10% off the top. That's a tithe to the church. I'm gonna give that 10% and I'm just gonna trust God because that's what it says in his word. Honor me with the tithe. So I did that and I didn't have much money then. That wasn't a large amount of money that I gave to the church at that point. But what it did, it set something in my life It was worship and it started something there. If I'm gonna be faithful with a really small check at that time, then God later on, it might be a bigger amount, but it's not gonna change because I've already decided at that point. See, what you decide when no one's looking has human ramifications for when everyone's watching. What you do with a little is really tied to what you do with a lot. And so God's watching and he builds up and it's developmental from that. God's helping all of us to grow in our faithfulness. We're all in the same position. We wanna grow in our faithfulness to God in every area of our lives. And here's a posture and a question for faithfulness. When you show up at places, you just say, how can I help? Here's the question. Let's say that out loud together. How can I help? Here's another version. How can I serve? Let's say that together. How can I serve? If you wanna be faithful in life when you show up at places, whether it's your home, whether it's the church, whether it's your workplace, you just say, how can I serve? What can I do for you? How can I help? That's a question that's gonna lead to faithfulness. And we need people empowered and faithful for such a time as this. I will say we have enough people who are complainers. We In this world, we've got enough people who are spectators. We've got enough critics. We've got enough doubters there's no shortage of complainers, critics, spectators, and doubters. They come in masses. They're not hard to find online or anywhere else. They're everywhere. They're everywhere. You know what, as, a, as one of the light, you know what's going to make you different? It's when you turn down complaining and criticizing and all the quarreling and the pride and the selfishness and just watching it. And you say, God, I want to be part of the solution. I want to roll up my sleeves and make a difference. And watch what God will do. God will develop it. It'll start small. You know, with David, he started by taking care of sheep. You think that's fun to clean up after sheep all day? I can barely clean up after one dog. You know, sheep all day. And then... Not only that, but protecting the sheep. Now the bears come, he protects the sheep from the bears. The lions come, he protects the sheep. Then Goliath, David didn't just show up one day and take Goliath down. God had been preparing him the whole time. And you have to keep moving forward with God, not get stuck, not plateau. God had a plan for the Israelites. They were trapped in Egypt in slavery. God set them free, delivered them from Pharaoh, parted the Red Sea, crossed the Red Sea, and then you know what happened? They got complacent in their faith. And they just kept going around in circles. And even though there was miraculous manna, it wasn't good enough. We want quail. You know, they got some meat. And then God provided a cloud during the day, pillar of, fight at, pillar of fire at night. Uh, a pillow fight at night? What was that? <laughs> uh, and, and, and you know what happened? They just kept grumbling and complaining until finally... Two stepped up, and there'll always be just a couple that step up. When a, someone's when the crowd is complacent and lukewarm, there'll be a couple people that God touches. Caleb and Joshua, a different spirit, said, we're taking the promised land. We're going through God, part of the Jordan. And even though for a generation they've been stuck, we're moving forward because this is developmental. We're not destined to stay the rest of the time in the wilderness. We're moving forward with God. We want to grow. And God will do that over and over again. The disciples, Jesus didn't pick the most intelligent, the most studied. He didn't pick the most knowledgeable. He didn't pick the ones who knew the Bible. Jesus could have picked the ones who knew the Bible inside and out. It's not who he picked. You know who he picked? Just everyday people, fishermen. They weren't really eloquent. They hadn't really studied the Bible. And Jesus is like, perfect. You're the guys I'm looking for. And they're like, okay, Jesus, all we can really do is catch fish. We're really good. Actually, Jesus, we're better at fish than you. How are you guys doing? Well, we haven't caught anything tonight. Well, why don't you lower your nets? Jesus, you don't know fish. Guys, lower your nets. Lower the nets. Jesus knows fish. He knows fish because <laughs> the boat's overflowing. And he says, guys, you're not just going to catch fish. Now you're going to love people. And I know you don't like to speak, but you're going to speak. You're going to share my word. You're going to share the gospel. I know you're scared, but you're going to speak thousands of people are gonna come into the kingdom and you're gonna serve and you're not just gonna stay on this lake, like you're gonna cover some ground and I'm gonna send you into some new places and people are gonna wanna kill you and well, actually, yeah, most of you are gonna get killed but I'm gonna send you out because developmentally, I'm growing you in terms of the impact you're gonna have for the kingdom and for eternity and how you love people and I've called you to do more even though fishing is good and I like fish, I've called you to do more. You see, what are you saying to true riches? The ways that God's growing you. Money is small stuff. I'm talking about the big stuff in life. Faithful and small, God brings more. You know what I've seen the last three years? I remember, and it was kind of traumatic, this room was empty, and all we had was a couple cameras and the singers, worship team, myself, really scaled down, and it was sad. There was nobody in the building Sunday morning. But you know what's happened over the last three years? God is growing us and he's developing us in depth in discipleship and in the word and in unity and he's bringing us together as a church family and more people just keep stepping up to lead and serve and more people getting baptized and more coming to know Jesus and more inviting their friends and more blessings are going out around the sound and the nations and God is doing something to the glory of God and so don't stop being faithful, church. (laughs) Don't stop being faithful. I'm not saying it gets easier. I'm just saying we're gonna rely on God more. In in the last part of the parable in verse 13, Jesus now moves into the heart and uh, Jesus loves to go for the heart. He says in verse 13, no servant can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. The Pharisees who loved money heard all this and were sneering at Jesus. I'm not gonna look up to see who's sneering about this parable right here. (laughs) He said to them, you are the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of men, but God knows your hearts. What is highly valued among men is detestable in God's sight. Loyal, problem solvers are loyal with an undivided heart. Loyalty is more important than talent. Loyalty to God is more important than being religious or having knowledge. Loyalty is more important than any positions, titles, or degrees that you have. The Pharisees are not loyal to God, even though everyone thinks they're the most loyal to God. They have people fooled on the outside, but their hearts are far from God. And the Pharisees loved money. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And the Pharisees looked down upon Jesus and they thought, who is this homeless poor man teaching us About money. And his followers are so poor, and he's gonna tell us why would we ever want to listen to him about money when he doesn't even have much money? We go to the wealthy master classes and we learn from the billionaires, but we're not gonna learn from Jesus. His advice is second rate. Well, that's ridiculous. I mean, Jesus is the creator. Here's the false view in the sickness of the Pharisees. Their self-righteousness in their eyes was such that we are so righteous that God has to bless us. And the proof that God has blessed us is the money that we have because the money shows that God loves us and blesses us. Now, other people aren't loved and blessed as much by God Can I just tell you, you're no better or worse than someone because you have more or less money. And the Pharisees swelled up with pride because they thought they're so righteous, they're so blessed, that's why they have more money, and their pride didn't even fit in the room. And it's the old classic battle, money versus integrity. And in their hearts, money's on the throne, Money was on the throne and Jesus didn't mince words. You can only have one on the throne. You don't have two masters. It's either money or the Messiah. And what about for our culture today? For many, it is money, but you know what else is popular on the throne? Comfortable or the Messiah. Pleasurable or the Messiah. Culturally reasonable or the Messiah. Approval or the Messiah. So we end up with these thrones with some money, some approval, what's comfortable, what's pleasurable. In Jesus, we're gonna try to keep you a close second, a really close second. And Jesus says, I'm not having second. You're making decisions of loyalty. What is first in your life? Who is on the throne? And the Pharisees aren't gonna be able to escape by with a parable that has some twists and turns because they're walking around justifying themselves but the irony is, they're going to be judged by Jesus. And so money serves you. You don't serve money. Well, how do you know if you have an idol in your life? Well, you worry all the time. You worry all the time. Well, how do you know if you have an idol in your life? You're consumed by stuff. You're consumed by it. Well, how do you know if you have an idol in your life? Well, you stop being generous. Well, how do you know if you have an idol in your life? Well, you're not really sharing the love of Jesus around the community and around the world. So, okay, well, maybe I'll do some backwards engineering and just check the throne of my life again. Because when Jesus is first, he brings fruit. He doesn't bring worry. So maybe I'm trying to control a bunch of stuff. Maybe I put it all on me. And maybe what really needs to shift in my life, but but, but not just a little behavioral modification, but maybe it's what Jesus is talking about right now. Here, that Jesus will be on the throne. Creative kingdom solutions. We don't need spectators, complainers, worriers, critics, and doubters. You know, I just learned this this month that the Census Bureau reports Seattle is the saddest city in America. Did you hear that? 45% of the people in the area we live say they're very sad, very downcast. 45%. You know what that tells me? the hope of God in this place. That tells me that the hope of God can't stay within the walls of the church, that the hope of God needs to go where we live, work, learn, or play. Well, how's that gonna happen? Creative solutions, people who are listening to God, doing some things we haven't done before, being more united, more sacrificial more courageous. It's not just doing the same things. God has solutions for the sound in 2023 that are different than 1983. And so we need to be in step with the spirit right now because you're a problem solver. You're one of the kingdom that God is building up, savvy, resourceful, insightful. It's gonna be incremental, loyal. There's no limits to what God can do. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your goodness to us, how you guide us. God, I, I believe there's people in the room and watching who don't know you, Jesus. And I pray today for a first-time decision. Jesus, you died for our sins. You didn't just talk about love, you demonstrated it. You died for our sins on the cross and you're risen. You're the King of kings and Lord of lords. And I pray today that in this room, understanding the grace that it's a gift and not earned, people would make decisions right now to follow you for the first time. God, decisions would be made right now for water baptism. Decisions would be made right now for using gifts and leading and serving. And God, I pray for the problems that we're in right now. God, that you would download wisdom and insights. God, it would be from you. You said that if we lack wisdom, God, to cry out to you to ask for wisdom and you're generous and we don't need to doubt you. God, I pray you give wisdom for anyone in a problem right now that feels so overwhelming and it just doesn't look like there's a way out and it doesn't look like there's much light at the end of the tunnel. God, I pray you give encouragement today and hope today and wisdom today. And God, I pray that we would be faithful, not trying to control results, but we'd be humble and loving and faithful. And I pray that the hope, your hope, God, would fill our hearts to overflow. I pray it would overflow out of this church, God. I pray it would overflow past one hour on Sunday mornings. God, we pray as we lift up the sound, the saddest place in America, that there'd be a turnaround in the sound for Jesus's name in Jesus's glory in healing and restoration. God, we wanna be a part of that and we surrender ourselves to you. It's because of your goodness that we trust you. And we follow you together in your name, Lord. Amen.